couple into the fellowship. As Josh and Alina will be getting married this upcoming Saturday. Amen. And because of your commitment to Jesus, I expect you to be here next Sunday in church as well. And they both look down like, yeah, right, good to be in church. But amen, it is great to come together. Um, turn your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 12. You're going to see a miracle today. Today, after two months, we will finish Luke chapter 12. And you thought it couldn't be done. But uh, today, how many of you guys are going to watch the game today? How many of you guys watch the game because of the commercials? How many of you guys watch the game? It's a good reason to get chicken wings and eat a lot. Right. Next week, we're going to be doing uh, Taibo as a church. But, you know, it is great. Um, even though my team isn't in, the, in there, um, um, it is great. I always enjoy uh, the competition. And one of the reasons why I enjoy it is because it's a mo moment where you see two of the best teams of this year, not the best teams overall, but the best teams of this year, uh, they come and they and they get a chance to, and you get to see the best of the best play. And it's going to be, I always love it. It's always a fun time. I love the competition. But one of the things every year about when you watch any game, especially the Super Bowl, is that in the midst of it, there's always a moment where there is, I guess you can call it an opportunity that is missed. And I'm not sure I have something on here. It's not up. Let me see if it's up. There we go. Let me see if I can get this to work. Of all the teams that had to put the Patriots on there, zeal without knowledge. But, um, but you know, it is amazing, though. Every year, if you watch the games, um, it's always, as you watch, it's always, at some point in time, there was a catch that had that catch been made, it could have changed the course of the game. There's a fumble, like right here. Oh, my goodness, the lights went out. But, um, you know, in this picture right here, this guy's probably about to score the end zone. A Patriots guy tackles him, and he coughs it up. If you're a Colts or a Jets, I don't know who that is. Jets, okay. But, you know, there's always those moments, and you see them on, and you see them on the ESPN afterwards, and you see that face of, I wish I wouldn't have fumbled that ball. And afterwards, there's so much regret, wishing, I wish I'd have made that play. Or you see that play, let's go for fourth and inches to go, and they miss it, and there's a missed opportunity. You know, one of the things, um, when I think spiritually, probably one of the greatest missed opportunities that I can think of is Judas. And I think of, uh, you talk about missed opportunities. Sports is one thing because you, you brush it off, you get back up, and you got next year. But I think about Judas from the perspective of Judas was chosen out of 12 men of all of history to walk with Jesus. And you can imagine, out of these 12 men, he is one of the ones that Jesus touched, says, you come follow me. And he had probably one of the most intimate talks and walks that anyone will ever have as far as physically walking with Jesus. And you're talking about a, blo a blown opportunity. He had the chance to see him, to walk with him, to, to have his feet washed by him, to hear words by him, to after lessons to come back. And to speak directly, let me explain it to you. But then for 30 pieces of silver, he turned Jesus in. And with one kiss, I wonder if Jesus could do it all over again. If he was like, I don't want this silver. 
It's not worth it. And you know, you think about missed opportunities. What an opportunity he wish he could have had back. See, I wish I could have do a do-over and the regret. You know, as we're reading through Luke chapter 12, we're going to wrap up here today in Luke 12. You know, I think about as Jesus is preaching in chapter 12, it says he's preaching to thousands of people. So the crowds have gotten huge. But I, I, you can't help but to think how many people are hearing Jesus and they're missing the opportunity of a lifetime. And as he's preaching and as he's speaking to their hearts and he's encouraging them and he's challenging them, he says, come follow me, repent of your sins. And so many have an opportunity that in some of us we wish we had. I wish I could have been at the foot of Jesus. I wish I could have seen him walk on water. I wish I could have seen the miracles. They had these opportunities to touch him. Can you imagine touching Jesus? And you realize, like, man, I have touched God in the flesh. And so many, as he's preaching the word of God and he's hitting their hearts, they're missing an opportunity of a lifetime to walk with him and be with him for eternity. You know, I think overall, as we get into the lesson today, the passage we're going to look at today, I think it's a bit challenging. But I realize today how many people miss the greatest opportunities of ever to have a relationship with Jesus. And I, you know, and today my title is Don't Waste Your Opportunity. Don't waste your opportunity. And um, I do think that when we come, we come here all the time. And as we hear this passage today, let me let me say something to you. Even if you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, sometimes we can hear lessons and we can brush them off. But as we look at this passage today, this is not just for those who were non-believers. The people who follow and were in the crowds, these are people who went to the synagogue, who do the scriptures, who memorized the Torah. These are people who prayed three times a day, who were really sacrificial. But these are the same people who missed some, the greatest opportunity of their life to have a relationship with God. And today, that's my title. This is my only slide. I don't have any more slides, so you don't got to look back up there again for a slide. But my but my point, my my um, title today is Don't Waste Your Opportunity. Let's look up in chapter 12. And just to let you guys know, I am going for the Seahawks, just so y'all want to know. The Patriots took us out of it, so I'm bitter with the Ravens, but somewhere through the lesson I realized God is love and I'll forgive them, but only afterwards. That's right. I forgive them right now. Amen. But I hope they lose. All right, verse 47. You know, uh, last week Matt preached an incredible lesson on, you know, we got to be ready, right? And verse 47 of last week, here's what Jesus said. He says, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. That's just not a good thing you want to hear. But the one who does not know and does and does things deserving punishment. Did I miss something? No, I don't think so. We'll be with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who, who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. So he ends talking about you got to be ready. And if you're not ready, there's consequences not being ready when Jesus comes. That's the truth. If I think Matt gave image, if he if we tore the if we tore the ceiling off and he came right now, would you be ready? And I'm thinking, whoa, that's that's pretty serious. And Jesus, like, you got to be ready at any moment when he comes. 
And then he picks up and he goes here. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to pause. And I want you to read a little piece at a time. And I want you just to think about what he's saying. In verse 49, Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. Just stop right there and think about that. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. Doesn't that kind of go against the communion message that you feel since God is love? God is love and he is love and we love it, but he's come to bring fire on the earth. You're thinking, wait a minute, hold on, this don't go with the Christianity that I grew up with. I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint or what distress I am under until it is completed. Jesus come and he's been preaching to the crowds, to the disciples, says, look, I've come to bring fire. That's not an image we get of Jesus, is it? I come to bring fire to the earth. And he goes, I wish it was already kindled. And I'm thinking like, man, this just blows up my whole perception of why Jesus came. Doesn't the Bible say in John 12, 47, I come to save the world and not to judge the world. But now we pick up here. He says, look, I'm coming to bring fire. And for the people who would have heard at that time, there was no mistaking when he said, I bring fire, fire meant one. One big thing popped in their mind, fire meant judgment. I came to bring judgment to the earth. That's not the Jesus we grew up with. But he says, I've come to bring fire for the Jews when they heard this. There's so many Old Testament predictions. It talks about fire. They would have thought maybe Amos 1, I will send fire on the, on the house of Hazel. So they would have thought, fire, he's bringing judgment on the house. Ezekiel 21, verse 31 says, I will pour out my wrath on you and breathe out my fiery anger against you. He's bringing fire. His anger is coming against us. Isaiah 26, verse 11. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. So when they heard, I come to bring fire, they would have thought, you're coming to consume us? And they think, we're God's people. Their mindset as Jews know the Messiah is coming to bring fire, but not for us but for the Gentile nation. So they would have heard that and thought, no, 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 that's it's supposed to be for them, not us. But he says, no, I come bring fire, judgment on you too. And you can imagine, what a huge wake-up call. That's not what they expected. Sometimes we hear things that we don't expect, but it's exactly what we need to hear. But you know, another image, I understand, because when Jesus preached the word, it did bring a fire. Another image that may have popped in their mind is, the image of putting metal in a fiery furnace. When you put metal in a fiery furnace, what happens is the purities and the impurities, those things separate. When Jesus preached, his message was so full of fire, it separated those who were pure and those who were impure. Anytime we hear the message of Christ, there's a fire that hits our hearts. And we got to decide now, whose side am I standing on? You know, my first point is, don't waste your opportunity because there will be a time of judgment. You know, in this passage right here, he goes on and says, I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. And, and what distress I am under to is completed. So it's like he has this, these two strong, I wish it was here, but I got a baptism to overgo. It means I'm going to be immersed in divine judgment because of the sin. So this baptism and this kindling is all focused on the cross. The divine judgment will be over. He will feel this overwhelming judgment of, of God on him because of our sins. So it's kind of like a woman in childbirth, right? Not that I've been there, 
But I'm sure it's this way. There's this joy of, yes, I can't wait to have the baby. Oh, there's a pain that's coming too. I think Jesus felt, whoa, I can't wait. But at the same time, there's this distress and pain. I feel overwhelmed. And why? Because at that moment, at the cross, you know, we get judgment. Depends on what side of the cross you're on. If you're on the side of, I'm following Jesus and I'm walking with Jesus, you find forgiveness and joy and peace. And we all say, what? Man. But if you're not right with God on the other side, you find judgment. So all this, I'm coming to the earth to bring judgment to the world. And depending on how we accept his teachings, we determine on what side of the cross we stand. You know, I think Jesus saying is either you change or you will be judged. That's a hard thing to hear. Either change or be judged. I remember you talking about this preaching here and you think about Jesus. This is a little bit radical than what we're used to. If you're in campus. Or if you've been at a campus for a while, you guys know Brother Micah? Who knows Brother Micah? You know Brother Micah? You know? Brother Micah is a guy, he goes on campuses, I guess he travels. He travels and he finds like the spot like in front of the union where most people go. And he stands up there, he gets his little box and he stands up. And you know what he does? He starts preaching and everybody goes by and he says, you gotta repent! If you don't repent, you're going to perish. And people walk by and he would offend you. And I know you're immoral. And people walk by and it was like, I know you. The Bible said he starts reading scriptures. Then after a while, you walk by, crowds form. And people are start yelling at him. And God is love and God is grace. He opened the Bible, but you got to repent. And all of a sudden, you always find there's always this you know, the religious step out and open the Bible, but God is grace and God is love. And he would look at them and you got to repent. He just goes off. Nobody's free. So you stand in the back like, don't call on me. But he's <laughs> preaching and he's going at it. And, you know, and I and I watch him and I watch people. and They start yelling and they get angry. Crowds form. I'm serious. You see it. There's crowds form. And sometimes you'll go, go to class, come back. And he's still preaching the same message. Repent, the time is near. And I remember looking and thinking, man, you've lost your mind. But then I read this passage, I thought, maybe it's me. And I heard him, he's preaching his message. And I began to thank him because, you know, what we tend to do when we hear hard messages, we tune it out. That ain't like the Jews, that ain't for me, that's for the Gentiles. And I think when Jesus preached, the problem was he was preaching, woe to you. They think, no, no, no. The real Messiah is the Prince of Peace. He'll come in love and gentleness and patience. And they tuned it out. And then I thought about John the Baptist's message. And Luke 3 says that John came preaching the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And guess what happened? Crowds kept coming out and getting baptized. I'm thinking, he's preaching this fiery message. And people are coming out and they're getting baptized one by one. And I'm sitting there watching Brother Mike and talking about, you know, wow, you shouldn't be preaching it that way. But crowds are coming and getting cut. Jesus, when he started his mission, he says he preached after John was put in prison. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. He said the kingdom of God is there. Repent and believe the good news. If you'd have heard that, how many of us say, I don't like, that's not, I don't like that message? I would have walked away. You know, it made me wrestle. It made me think so much for both Christians and non-Christians alike. Like the Jews, 
of that day when they heard the the message of judgment, a lot of times they didn't listen because they heard they heard it. I hear it, but I don't like the way you're delivering that. Well, I don't like the way that's coming. So because I don't like the way and I don't like you, I'm not going to allow you to hit my heart. And I wonder if sometimes we do that. Who do you think you are? But if it's true, why not open our hearts and listen to what it's saying? I wonder sometimes if we just tune out. And I think in this generation, we tune out the idea of judgment. Almost as if this judgment is not true. And you talk to people, well, I used to go to church. I stopped going because they preached fiery messages and there was judgment and I didn't like it. No, you didn't want to change. Let's be honest. And maybe they were over, but part of it, if it was biblical, you just didn't want to change. That's the truth. And you tuned it out because you wanted to live in your sin. And when judgment was preached, like, I don't want to hear that. Give me love and grace. God is both love, grace, and wrath. You can't take one part and not the other. He says, I've come to bring fire, but he's also come to save the world. Both are true. He is the prince of peace. There is no peace unless there's war against our soul and against sin. You know, there is a judgment that is certain to come. I think we ask ourselves, how often do you hear challenging messages about your life and judgment? And you blow it off. I think especially for those who've been around for a while. We hear it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm absolved from that. That's not me. I'm God's people. That's for the person sitting next to me. How many times we hear messages and thinking, I hope that person hears it. But we're not thinking about, am I hearing that message? Is that sinking into my heart? Is it changing me? Or are you thinking about somebody else? But it goes on and it makes me think. And so many times as, as Christians, people talk to you about your walk, your faith, your love, your patience, and things. you got to change. And you're thinking, no, I'm good just the way I am. But we don't hear the message that maybe Jesus is putting on that person's heart to say to you. You know, don't waste the opportunity. We don't know who God is putting in our life. In the Bible, God spoke through a donkey. Now, I'm not saying that people are talking to you are donkeys. You probably shouldn't call them that. But what I am saying that if it's the word of God, no matter how it comes, we got to hear it and we got to change. They didn't want to change in the Bible. In this passage, you read this whole passage of woes and he's challenged. They didn't want to change. They crucified him because they, he spoke with a spiritual condition and they didn't want to hear it. Let it not be said with us that we miss those opportunities. That when the word of God is preached to us, that we miss the opportunity to change. There is a judgment to come. And I think Jesus loves us so much, he will say whatever he, we need to hear to make sure we're on the right side of that judgment when it comes. Let's keep reading. You with me? But he doesn't. It's funny because Jesus doesn't let up here. In verse 51. Do you think I came to bring, to bring peace on the earth? And they'll be like, yeah, you did. Of course you came to bring peace. You're the prince of peace. The Messiah came to bring peace and bring the nation together. He was going to give a covenant of peace. So he's kind of set up. You think I came to bring peace? Yes. Answer, no. It's like, oh, man, why are you setting me up like that? What does he say? He says, no, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I tell you, but division. How does that sit with you? How about Jesus? We call him Jesus the great divider. We don't think about it like that, do we? Jesus came to bring, no, he didn't. He came to bring, put everybody together and no, he came to divide. 
His message came with fire, divide. What side are you on? Impurity, impurity, the message divides. And you can imagine them feeling like, man, this is, this is, this is a hard teaching. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and in-law, outlaw, whatever law is right here. But I look, my preaching will divide because when you decide your loyalty and allegiance to Jesus, it brings a division. See, don't waste the opportunity. When we decide to follow Jesus, the next point is there will come a time of strife. You know, Jesus here, he says something in verse 52. And this is, I think for Christians, it's, this may be a hard thing to hear, but it's true, and Jesus says it a few times here. In verse 52, he says, from now on, there will be five in the family divided. He says, from now on. We hear that before, he says, and what he says, it means from this time forward. It signifies that this is from now on, this is the way it's going to be. If you choose to follow me, this is how it's going to be. For example, from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. From that moment on, for the rest of your life, you're going to be fishers of men. From now on, the Son of Man will sit at the right, at the right hand of God in heaven. So from that moment on, that's where he'll be. So what he's saying to the crowds is from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. If you choose to follow Christ from now on until the end of time, you will experience strife and division in your family. How do you feel about that? How many of us have experienced strife or division in our family because of the gospel? I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but Jesus says from now on. And I think there's a reason why he says that. You know, uh, there's a few things here in this passage. Let's go here in verse 52. And this is to encourage the Christian. Sometimes we think it's weird. Well, why? You know, it should. And praise God, I know I became a Christian. There's a little bit of division. But I'm closer to my family now than I was then because I had to change my heart. But the truth and reality, there was a division because I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. The first thing it says right here in verse 52, it says, from now on, there will be five in one family divided. The first division we occurs here in the family is, is, is your closest bonds. This is, these are family members. And Jesus says, if you follow me, there's going to be division amongst your closest relationship. We've heard the, the phrase, blood is thicker than what? They said the whole thing is like, my family, my blood is thicker than water. But Jesus is saying, no, water is thicker than blood. If you've been baptized in the waters of Christ and been saved, that's thicker than the blood of your family. And he's turning the tables like, no, let me help you understand. Your allegiance to me needs to be greater than your allegiance to any human being, especially those as closest to you. Who has, who is your, who is your allegiance to? Is it to God or is it to man? You know, you look at Jesus in his own example in Mark 3.31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call. A crowd was sitting around and they told him, your brother, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brother? My brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God 
is my mother, is my brother and my sister. And my mother says, look, let me help you understand that if you're saved, your allegiance is to God. And it's greater than any other allegiance to any person, your wife, your husband, your child, whoever. It is to God. And he says, look, there will be strife because when you choose me, all of a sudden, you, choose, you draw that line in the sand, now there's going to be strife. He says in Matthew 10, I, we, do, we used to do these surveys. We pass these surveys around, and it, one of the surveys would say, um, did Jesus say this? And one of these, this passage was on there, and I'm telling you, 9 out of 10, or almost 9.5777 out of 10, always say that Jesus didn't say this. But in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, 34 says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. Now let you turn there. It's a great passage, actually. In Matthew 10, verse 32. Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Because most people think, of course he came to bring peace. He says, I did not come to bring peace. But a sword. Now, all this is like turning our whole view of, but he's love and he's, yes, he is, but he's also come to bring fire, he brings division, and he brings a sword. That's Jesus. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter in law against her mother in law. A, a man's enemies will be who? The members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The testimony of history. You see, when people follow Jesus, division is brought in the family. But here's why. The second thing here in the same passage, I, I told you to turn. Now I'm telling you to turn back to Luke chapter 12. But it brings division in family. But, it's, but there's also not just a division, but there's a polarizing division that happens. In verse 52 in chapter 12. Your Bible should just open to Luke chapter 12. We've been in chapter 12 so long. You just drop it and just Luke chapter 12. You share your faith. Where you at? I don't know. Probably Luke chapter 12. We've been there for two months. But today, to next week, Luke chapter 13. Ah, there you go. And then we'll be there until August. Okay, but in Luke chapter. But he says, for, for now and on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Now, listen, look, look at this. It says three against two. And two against three. Those who have come and become disciples says there's, there will be this, this, these new unities will begin to happen. It says two against three and three against, it doesn't say one against four or five against one. It says two and three and three and two. Why do I say that? Because something happens when a person becomes a Christian. When you become a Christian, all of a sudden we become unified. But sometimes I've seen, too, even in families who've been divided for years, they don't even talk. You become a Christian, they get unified against you. They were like, we ain't talking to that person. What? You doing what? Come on, let's talk. We're unified. When you become a Christian, it even brings unity. It brings unity even against the people who aren't in Christ. And I've seen it so many times with, with families. They People become Christians and all of a sudden, families who've been not talking for years, now they're singly focused on against you. So the one of you they have, I can't talk anything else. I will talk about Phil right now. You know what I'm saying? Let's talk about him. But when you become, when you choose Jesus, that's actually common. 
It's a time. This is part of the life of following Christ. And obviously, we need to be loving. We need to be kind. We need to be patient. We need to be more like Christ in every way. But there's a reality that happens. And to the church and to Christians, don't be afraid of that. We can't fear being disunified if we're unified with Christ. The other thing it says right here, it says in verse 53, they will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against mother. You know, I read this passage. But it's not only family. It's not only will there will be groups that will form in a sense, but there's, I believe also there's this, even the roles of authority and the change in a person's life. Do you see this right here? Mother, father, it's all against authority over child. But he's saying, if you follow me, there's going to be strife. What's going to, if you align yourself with the word of God, that even the authority in your life changes. That your greatest authority becomes who? Right. Before that, a lot of times it's somebody else. So even in becoming a follower of Christ, and you see it sometimes even in, you see these divisions sometimes, and, and one of the things as a church, we try our best to men, and like, you need to be loving, you need to be kind, you need to submit, you need to do what's right before God, you need to forgive, and you need to do your part because you're a Christian. But when it comes down to, well, I said do this, you've got to draw the line. I follow Jesus. My authority, I will listen and I will obey. And I think Jesus wound up, he was obedient son, but he says, look, I got to be with my father. How about us? Who's the greatest authority in your life? Is it Jesus Christ? You know, I, I read on, you read, the more of the Bible we study out, Jesus says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that if you want to live a godly, life, a godly life in Christ, you will be what? We run away from persecution sometimes. Think of, just right now, think of a powerful person in the Bible. Anybody that inspires you in the Bible as you go through who preached the word of God. Now, who do you know who preached the word of God and lived and lined himself with Jesus who was not persecuted? But yet we try to live our lives under the radar. I want to live without strife. How can I? And you wonder why I don't have an impact on the world because you're not living and I'm not living like Jesus Christ. No, there will be strife. You know, I think he says, don't waste your opportunity. The other side of that picture is when you're on Christ's side, now there's peace, there's joy, there's forgiveness, there's love. And honestly, I love all y'all, but what matters most is I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. If it takes us having to go toe to toe over scripture and, and say, we gotta, you gotta help my heart and I gotta help your heart, then so be it. But at the end of the day, I gotta please Jesus. How about you? How about you Christians who've been a Christian for a while? We can't run away from the things that Christ didn't run away from. We gotta stand toe to toe with scripture, with love, with patience, but we gotta bring with fire. Are you with me? Last thing here as we wrap up chapter 12, here we go. How many of you guys, as you read this passage, feel like, man, this is just different than my understanding of Jesus? You kind of feel that a little bit, don't you? Like there's a tug, and there's probably a part in your heart, if you're honest, right now, you're thinking, well, let me give a reason why this is not true. That's where the pride comes in. Well, no, 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 but this. Don't be proud. This is Jesus talking. Take all of Jesus. Don't pick the part of Jesus you want. Let's keep going here. It says, he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rise in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And guess what? It does. 
And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. You like that, right? And we know that, right? You see certain clouds are going to rain. Look, it rains. And, and he's talking to the people. You, you see these things and you can discern and interpret. You see that? It's, wow, look. Look at the cloud rising from the Mediterranean. If they didn't have radar, Doppler, what are those things? They didn't could look at their phone and like, it's going to rain for the next five days. They didn't have all that. But they were able to look and interpret and say, look, I can see clearly what's going to happen. But then Jesus says, you can do that. Then he's next scripture, hypocrites. <laughs> you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is that you don't know? How to interpret the present time. You know, we don't want to waste the opportunity. Now is the time for discernment. And he's talking to them. It's like, look, you, you're able to interpret and see, interpret the skies and what's going to happen. And you can discern and understand it's, it's going to rain. Or look, see the wind? God's going to be hot. And they, you can discern that. But at the present time, the Messiah is standing right here in front of you with signs, with miracles, with healing, with supernatural things. You can discern small things, but you can't discern the Messiah who's right here in your face. You know, I, and Jesus says, you hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who acts inconsistently. If you can consistently interpret what's happening why don't you interpret Jesus and his word and his truth when it comes to your heart and he says you hypocrites you know the people at the time they had more than us they knew they would pray they knew the scriptures there's over 300 something prophecies about Jesus they knew the prophecies of scripture about the Messiah who was right there and they had all the information, they had all the evidence to draw the right conclusion. They had the miracles, they had the evidence to draw the right conclusion. They had the word and all his preaching and his life to draw the right conclusion, but they could not make a right, have the right discernment to see that this is the Messiah. And you say to them, now is, come on, it's, you have everything you need. You have you you draw conclusions with less less evidence. You have so much evidence. I think with us today, we there's no reason. If you're not a Christian, you shouldn't be a Christian. There's too much evidence. You know something? I think we know how to interpret other things. When you go into a neighborhood, you know what you do? You go here and check out this predators, you check the neighborhood, and you you get all the evidence together. I made a conclusion. This is a good neighborhood to live in. I'm gonna to go to I'm gonna to go to college. What college has a good ministry and and this and do they have my major? You get all the stuff together and you're thinking, I make a conclusion, this way I'm gonna to go to school. You wanna buy a gadget? Well, is it Samsung or I or, the, or Apple, whatever? Which one is the best? Josh? Who do you work for, Josh? Who do you, who do you work for? What kind of phone do you have? Oh, you do, you change. Oh, I was gonna call you a hypocrite. There you go, no, but you're good. All right. You interpreted the times. You saw the evidence. It's always weird to go talk to Apple guy. He says, let me check on the Samsung. But that's totally different. When you know each other, you can say those things. 
He doesn't care. He's getting married next week. I can say whatever I want. That's an encouragement, not a bad But I just, my point is we know how to discern and make conclusions about small, superficial things. How about a relationship with Jesus? You know, I, and you're talking about the so much evidence. I mean, there is so much evidence, not only for those who follow Jesus, but those who hated Jesus, that he existed. I mean, there's so much evidence, so many, you know, I went to, I've been to Israel, been to London. If you don't get a chance to go to London, you got to go to the British Museum and the British Library. When you go to the British Museum, they have, if you took away, they said if you took away all the Bibles, you trashed all the Bibles, just the scripture written on tablets and stones, you could put together 80% of the Bible. I'm like, wow, because people, they understood the words of Christ and they read them on, wrote them on different things. I'm thinking, there's so much evidence why do we not make right judgment when it comes to our soul? But we'll make right judgments or the best judgment on things, as Ricky said, will be destroyed and rust and die. I think that's a challenge, I think, for us is even, it's not just an issue of whether you're a Christian or not, but even making right judgment as you've been a Christian for a while on what is right before God and what is not. What is spiritual, what is unspiritual, what is holy, what is unholy. But make right judgment based on Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Does that make sense? But it's a time. We have time to discern and interpret. Let's, let's end with this last passage. Last verse right here. I'm coming, Matt. Is that Matt? See, I, know, I even know your voices. Try me. Say a voice. Yep. Alexis. Ah, that's what I'm talking about. Y'all think I'm joking. I know it. There you go. I'm not sure if I'm misinterpreting, but see, a, a shepherd knows his flock. You know what I'm saying? They know. I know. There you go. Let's end right here. And listen, here's the last thing. He says, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? He's been, I think as he's going through next week, um, we're talking about repentance. But he says, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? Come on, make right, have good discernment. What is right? Then he gives, then he gives this, this parable. As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And again, this you gotta don't waste this opportunity. You gotta discern what is right. And the whole parable is like, look, if you owe somebody money, you look, ask, and the case is black and white. Why go before the judge? Let's get right now. Come on, give me some mercy. Help me out. I'll pay you back. Let's not go to court. Why go to court if you know it? You're already going to be judged guilty. So the point is like, Jesus, like you've heard all my teachings. Make a right discernment. Make a right, understand what is right. Before you stand before the judge, be smart. Make a right decision right now. He said, look, be smart. Look, have mercy on me. Look, what is satisfactory to you, judge? I mean, to you, I don't want to go to the judge. Let's work this on out. Let's talk. And Jesus like, I think Jesus is saying, look, let's work it out now. There's a judgment coming. I love you. I don't want you to have to stand before the judge and it's too late. But while you're alive, he's saying, look, make a right decision. In other words, discern the threat. 
You know what I'm saying? There's certain places like, look, there's a threat. I'm not going there. Why? Because look, it won't be good. So it's like, look, don't, let's talk about this. Don't go there. I think in the same way as while we're alive and while we have time, let's make the right judgment. I think that's what he's saying overall. You know what he's saying? Don't waste the opportunity. There will be a judgment. There will be strife. But now is the time for discernment. Don't waste your opportunity. Don't be like so many here who listen to Jesus and they miss the opportunity of lifetime to have their hearts changed. For the Christians, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, including myself, don't waste the opportunities to have the word of God spoken to your hearts. Don't say, no, that's for other people. I've done that before. No, what is God saying to you right now? Let our hearts be soft and open so we can hear the word of God. And if you're not right with God, now is the time. Get right with Jesus. Beg for mercy now. And you say, look, let's settle. Let's, let's get reconciled. Let's settle now. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, we will die and face judgment. Don't waste your opportunity. Talk about not wasting your opportunity. They're going to come up now. Talk about not wasting your opportunity. Um, Priscilla will agree. Come on, you guys, come on up. I know you just sat down. Now I'm telling you, come on up. She's going to get baptized right after church today. She's like, I'm not wasting this opportunity. Now is the day. So I have them come on up and they'll share. And then after that, we'll have one final song and we will go outside.